In the church calendar, today is known as Gaudete Sunday. The word Gaudete is the word which began our worship this morning in the beautiful introit which our choir sang. Gaudete, a word which translated means rejoice. And you've heard that idea of rejoicing reflected throughout some of the scriptures that we have read today. And you see it reflected here in visual form on our Advent wreath. We have three Sundays represented with the color purple, the color of repentance, and then this one pink candle. When things feel a little bit lighter and we're getting that much closer to the thing for which we have been waiting, and more importantly, to the one for whom we have been waiting. I can remember when I first became aware of this idea of Gaudete Sunday, I thought that it should be on the fourth Sunday of Advent, because you're getting a little closer to Christmas, right? You're getting a little closer to the birth of Jesus. And it didn't make any sense to me that you would lighten the mood for one Sunday and then go right back to purple the following Sunday. Well, that was back before I had a little bit more life under my belt and understood a little bit more about the complexities and the disappointment and the disillusionment that we can often experience as Christian people. Which I guess is why John the Baptist's particular moment in his life is the gospel reading that is laid before us today. We had that beautiful introit about rejoicing and then that wonderful reading from Isaiah which talks about even the dry and parched earth rejoicing and begins to lay out in beautiful poetic language the undoing of the things that hold life back from fullness of joy, language of transformation as God makes all things new in the promised one, the Messiah, then that was reflected yet again in the words of the psalm. The turning over of suffering, the turning over of those who are following, the loosing of those who are imprisoned, care for the strangers, the fatherless, the widow. The language used there is even the language turning upside down the ways of this world and right side up to the ways of God. And I suspect many of those scripture passages and yet others were running through John's head as he rotted away in his prison cell. He was part of that great proclamation of joy, part of that wonderful promise of turning things around, turning things over. Even before he was born, 
He was born for that purpose. He's the one who leaped in his mother's womb at the approach of his his mother's cousin, Mary, the one who was carrying the Savior in hers. He was the one whose father's tongue was stilled and then loosed when he wrote, his name is John, a new beginning, a new way forward, not the way things have always been done. Thank God, literally. And he lived up to his end of the bargain. He was called to be prophetic, called to be the Old Testament prophets born into the people of God's current lives and not just something they read about in the pages of Scripture from a past so long ago and sometimes forgotten. He looked like a prophet. In his case, messy hair, sticky lips from honey, and little bits of grasshopper legs in his beard, dressed in weird clothes, hanging out in the desert, and telling people to turn their lives around because the upside-down, right-side-up God is about to enter the world. So picture his disappointment. And picture why, I think anyway, that it's a little bit of a surprise to talk about that disappointment on Rejoice Sunday. John is not rejoicing. And what does that rejoicing have to do with his experience of disappointment and delusionment? A couple of weeks ago in the Washington Post, a columnist named Michael Gershon wrote something which I think speaks to the choice that we all have before us, certainly during the Advent season, and often in other times of our lives. Here's what he writes. On the evidence of our senses, despair is perfectly rational. Entropy is built into nature. Decay is knit into our flesh. By all appearances, the universe is cold, empty, and indifferent. This leaves every human being with a choice between despair and longing. And both are reasonable responses to a great mystery. Despair and longing. The two choices that are before us during this season and as I say, many other times. Jesus will name that despair as the child of offense in the gospel reading today, that if we take offense at him, that will lead us to a place of disconnection and finally despair. Whereas if we trust in him, that will lead somewhere completely different. And so you have John the Baptist, perhaps already despairing, but certainly halfway there, pacing his cell, 
remembering that passage from Isaiah, remembering that passage from the Psalms, remembering all sorts of other passages as in his own vocation to prepare the way for the Lord. But what he sees before him doesn't match up with what he's expecting, or maybe more accurately, what he had hoped for. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we wait for another? That's the question that he sends along to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't lay out some comforting answer to John or beetle over to the prison to visit him and offer top-notch pastoral care. He says to John, essentially, open your eyes a little wider and really see what is going on. You see, it seems to me that the lesson that John learns and the lesson that we need to learn begins with something very important. Written right in front of me right now on a little brass plaque is a reminder to the preachers who step into this pulpit. It says, Sir, we would see Jesus. In other words, direct our gaze and our sight and our understanding. Open our eyes a little wider so that we can see Jesus. People look east. The time is near. That always begins with a painful exercise, at least painful for self-centered people like me, to stop focusing on me. To stop thinking only about myself. To stop trying to wrap and contain God in the jail cell of my expectations. You see, if I expect that God will do what I say, and I take offense at God for being God, and think that God should do things the way that I think they should be done, then what I've done is fashioned an idol for myself. And I don't worship God at all. I just worship some kind of extension of myself. And I close myself to the transforming grace of God. In order for us to truly rejoice, in order for us to truly have faith in the one who has come and is to come, Jesus the Christ, the first thing we need to do is to pay heed, and he needs to do it too, obviously, to the words of John, repent, turn away from one way of looking at things to see them in another way. Turn away from self. Turn towards God 
opening our eyes to see Jesus. The other thing I think John learns in his prison cell is that having faith is not about being reassured. It's not about certainty. Oh my goodness, I wish it were. I remember a hymn and a hymn book back home in Nova Scotia called Telephone to Jesus. I'll try to find the words for you, Robert. Telephone to Jesus, oh what joy divine, I can feel the Spirit humming down the line. Built by God the Savior for his loved and own, you can talk to Jesus on this royal telephone. Well, you can't. Not even on an iPhone. Faith is about trust, not always about certainty. The certainty doesn't come in scientific proof. The certainty comes in believing that God is who God is, and Jesus is, is who Jesus is, and we are who we are, and the beautiful coalescing of those three things into a life-giving thing is what we call grace. And I wonder how much divine richness we squander in our lives when we mistake certainty for faith. Are you the one who is coming? John asks in despair and yearning. You decide, Jesus answers in love. Open your eyes to look beyond yourself, beyond your understanding, beyond your expectations, which are really so often just the seeds of disappointment in our lives. Open your eyes wider than the way things appear to see things the way they are. To trust that what God said that God would do is happening and will continue to happen and that nothing, not the despairing and disillusioning moments of our lives, nor even the worst evil that the world can throw at the light of God will extinguish that light. But like this wreath, it will continue to grow time after time after time until time is no more and all that is left is the fullness of joy in the full presence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Gaudete, rejoice, hold fast in the faith. Amen.